Chapter 4, verses 7 through 10 of the Great Commentary of Cornelius Elipetti, St. Matthew's Gospel, by Cornelius Elipetti. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, etc. For he tempts God, who asked for a miracle without necessity, such as this would have been, for Christ might have descended from the pinnacle by means of the stairs. In necessity, however, save for the sake of avoiding a worse destruction, it would have been lawful to cast oneself from a precipice if no other way of escape appeared. Thus many holy virgins, that they might escape from the hands of sinners who sought to defile them, have cast themselves headlong into rivers, preferring to die as martyrs rather than be violated as virgins. For greater is the wreck of virginity than of life. For as the honor of the one is greater than that of the other, so also is the disgrace. This is what St. Pelagia, a virgin of Antioch, fifteen years of age did, together with her mother and sisters, who, as St. Ambrose says, when the persecutors were following hard, and a river torrent shut them off from flight, but shut them up for the crown, cried out, What are we afraid of? Behold the water. What doth hinder us to be baptized? Let the water receive us. The water which makes virgins, which opens heaven, covers hell, hides death, creates martyrs. When they had repeated these words, they joined their hands, as though they were leading a dance, and advanced into the middle of the stream. You might have seen the pious mother twining their hands together. These victims, O Christ, she said, I emulate to thee, presidents of virginity, leaders of chastity, comrades of thy passion. Or litter, learn here that the devil, in the same way that he tempted Christ to cast himself headlong, tempts Christians by raising the fancy, the blood, black bile, so that they may have sad, horrible, sanguinary, despising, blasphemous thoughts, such as had never come into their minds before. Let them comfort themselves by the example of Christ, how God permitted his temptation for his greater virtue and merit. The advice which Scipio Nasia gave the Romans not to destroy Carthage when it was conquered, lest the Roman youth should become invenerated by ease, for that Carthage raising war would be a perpetual spur to their courage. You might apply it to the struggle which the saints endure through frequent temptations. Thus St. Paul, though almost an angel upon earth, said, Lest the abundance of the revelations should puff me up, and there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. The remedy is constancy of mind, fortitude, and firm confidence in God, by which you will manfully overcome temptations of every sort, however dreadful and abominable they may be. Yea, you will despise them, and proceed with a great heart, in the course of virtue in which you have entered. The devil formerly came to St. Anthony, complaining that all men spake ill of him. And very properly said the saint, for it is your own fault, since you vex and distress all men. The demon answered, I do nothing, I have no power against him who is unwilling. Men vex themselves and one another. It is their own consent to my suggestions, which makes them the authors of evil. He who consents not to the devil when he tempts him, but resists him, overcomes him and triumphs over him. Again the devil, etc. 
in descriptions of the Holy Land, this mountain is said to be near the desert of Quarantana. The Devil's Mountain is distant two miles from Quadrantana. It is to the south of Bethel and Hay. Up to it Christ was led by Satan when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. So Andronimus. You will ask in what way did the devil show to Christ all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and that in a moment, as St. Luke adds, observe God alone is able to do this absolutely, for in the first place God is so able to strengthen the power of sight in men that they are able to see objects, however remote, and that even through rocks and walls, so that they see things as they are in themselves, without visible appearance. In this manner he strengthens the mind of the blessed with the light of glory, so that it beholds God's essence without any appearance. So St. Anselm saw with his bodily eyes things which were done on the other side of a wall, as his life records. In a similar manner, God is able to make us here in Rome see with our bodily eyes things done in the bedchamber of the king of China. Second, God is able to multiply visible appearances in such wise that they are dispersed through places dark and dense, and even far distant and remote. Three, he is able not only to draw forth the appearance from an object, but to prolong it to any place whatever. Thus God showed the whole of the promised land to Moses from Mount Baram. Thus he set the whole world before the eyes of St. Benedict in a round globe, as St. Gregory relates. The devil can do none of these things. How then did he present all the kingdoms before the eyes of Christ? 1. Origen understands kingdoms mystically, as the reign of the devil, in which he rules in some men by anger, in others by pride, in others by gluttony, and so on. Listen to Origen. The devil showed him innumerable multitudes of men, whom he held in his dominion, and said unto him, I know that thou art come to fight against me, and take my subjects from under my sway. I ask you not to contend with me. You need not trouble yourself to fight. One thing only do I ask, that thou shouldest fall down and worship me, and then receive all my empire. But this is mystical, not literal. 2. Some think that the devil flew with Christ through all the kingdoms of the world, and in this manner showed them to him. But the language used will not admit this interpretation. It was their position on the mount that Satan showed Christ the kingdoms. 3. St. Cyprian is of the opinion that they were not shown to the senses, but to the imagination. But I have already shown on verse 3 that this whole series of temptations was external, not internal, and that the devil had no power over the imagination of Christ. 4. Others suppose that the demon, by means of many mirrors, reflecting from one to the other, gathered together the appearances of all the kingdoms of the world, and presented them to the eyes of Christ, by art similar to that by which Socrates is said to have seen a dragon in a far distant mountain devouring men, which no one else was able to see. Similarly, we now behold very distant objects by means of a nautical telescope, but to have done this, the demon must have filled the whole atmosphere with mirrors, and even then they would not have sufficed for seeing all things. 5. 
and with more probability, Euthemius and others with St. Thomas say that the devil took Christ up on a lofty mountain, that he might show him, at least in a confused way, the situation of each kingdom, as by saying thus, There in that direction is Asia, there is Europe, here is Syria, there is Italy, and all this in a moment, as Luke says, that is, in an extremely brief space of time. And because from this mountain the devil showed Christ not only all kingdoms, but the glory of them, we may add, with Theophilus, Jansen, and others, that the demon like a painter represented in a compendious manner pictures of all the kingdoms in the air, by varied refractions of rays of the sun, as is done in the case of the rainbow, and so, as it were, painted them as to cause whatsoever was glorious and splendid in all lands to be set before the eyes of Christ. Thus did the same demon make dense the air, and so work upon it, that he pictured many specters of lions, wild beasts, serpents, and monsters, and brought them before the eyes of St. Anthony, that he might terrify him, as St. Athanasius asserts in his life of St. Anthony. If the demon is able to picture such things to the fancy, why not in the air? Various colors are depicted in the rainbow. In the time of Maccabees, squadrons of soldiers are seen fighting in the air with other portents, and said unto him, etc. You ask how did the devil dare to make such an impious proposal to Christ? I answer that he is so ambitious that even from the beginning he wished to be God, and envied Christ as man, the divinity which he had by means of the hypostatic union. Ambition, therefore, the envy blinded him so that he treated Christ as his rival. Two, because when he saw Christ once and again, declining to work a miracle, he made himself more and more certain that he was not the Son of God. Because from Luke 4, 6, we learn that the devil added, For unto me they are delivered, and unto whomsoever I will I give them. From thence it is plain that he pretended to be the Son of God, and God, and consequently an object of worship, as St. Hilary says. The devil then, from Christ patiently suffering himself to be transported from the pinnacle of the temple to the mountain, and growing bold by Christ's modest silence, suspected that he was not the Son of God, but a mere man, and so he here demands the divine honors which he had formerly coveted in heaven, that they should be rendered to him by Christ, as well as by all other men. For this ambition of being a God is, as it were, innate in him, and blinds him, says the gloss. And therefore he introduced idols, that by them he might be worshipped. Satan, moreover, by the solicitation of worship, wished to make still further trial whether or not Christ were the Son of God. In the previous temptations he made trial directly whether Christ were the Son of God, but in this third temptation his direct object was to tempt to avarice, ambition, and idolatry, and indirectly to find out if he were the Son of God. Observe the arrogance of the devil. He does not care for any mere adoration, but such only as is accompanied by falling down in prostration. Hear what St. Irenaeus says upon this expression, fall down. The devil himself confesses that to worship him and to do his will is to fall from the glory of God. He therefore sells us vain honors at the price of our own destruction. Irenaeus adds 
not even these things which he had promised will he give to him who has fallen. St. Luke adds that the devil gave a reason why he made this offer to Christ, but in so doing he told a double falsehood. He said all these things have been delivered unto me, i.e. by God, but he here withholds mention of the divine name, both because it is hateful to him and because he himself wished to be counted and worshipped as God. And God has not given into his power the kingdoms of the world, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Secondly, because it is false that the devil gives them to whom he will, he did not intend to give the kingdoms of the world to Christ, neither would he have given them, even though Christ had worshipped him. The devil therefore here betrays himself, as Toletus observes, because this his promise was false, arrogant, and deceitful. We have seen why it was false. It was deceitful because he exchanges the present for the future. I will give, he says, but he will have the adoration now. By a similar fraud, the devil endeavors to persuade men to give their youth and time present to pleasures and himself, but to give the future and old age to repentance and God, though old age is uncertain and ill-adapted for penance, as St. Gregory warns us. Lastly, observe how Christ, by his examples and answers, teaches us that the first temptation of the flesh and hunger is to be overcome by hoping in God and his providence. The second of pride and presumption is to be vanquished by the fear of God. The third to avarice and ambition must be driven away by greatness of soul and contempt of the world. Blessed Peter Damien suggests three efficacious incentives to bring this to pass. The conqueror of the demons is made the companion of angels. The exile of the world is the heir of paradise. The denier of himself is the follower of Christ. Then saith Jesus, Get thee hence, Satan. The Syriac adds behind me. Jesus spake thus in righteous anger and indignation, and so the devil, despairing of victory, fled away in confusion. Whence let Christians learn bravely to repel the suggestions of the devil and to rebuke him, and he will flee from them. It is written, etc., For thou shalt worship... The Hebrew has tira, thou shalt fear, for the Hebrews by the word fear signify reverence, adoration, the whole worship of God. As Statius says, fear first made gods to be in the world. The word only is not in the Hebrew, but is understood in the pronoun him. Thou shalt worship, I say, him alone, him thy creator. Thou shalt serve him with latria, for the Greek word is Latresis, since Latria is rendered to God alone, Dulia to the saints, according to St. Augustine, to the Blessed Virgin, Hyperdulia, Merliter. Christ here teaches us the answer we should give to the devil when he tempts us to avarice or any other sin. All temptation tends to this, that we should prefer the creature to the Creator, and make it, as it were, our idol and worship it. Thus the idol which the devil sets before the covetous man is Plutus, Mammon, riches, kingdoms. The idol of the proud man is honor, ambition, of the glutton his belly, of the wanton Venus. With Christ we must answer Satan, I worship God, not Plutus or Venus. For as St. Cyprian says, he casts himself down from the vantage ground of his nobility, who was able to admire anything in comparison with God. For what is the whole world, what are all its kingdoms, 
all creatures compared with God, but as a point compared with the universe, what is all time in respect of eternity, but as a moment? What are all pleasures, honors, riches, compared with the riches and honors of eternity, but vanities and shadows, yea, but dust and ashes? Despise them, therefore, for God's sake, and cleave close to him, and then, last, overcome all temptation. As the psalmist says, it is good for me to hold fast by God. And again, my soul is firmly stayed upon God. As St. Cyprian says, since of God are all things, to him who hath God nothing will be wanting, if he be not wanting to God. In like manner, if the devil threaten you with the fear of infamy, poverty, disease, death, join thyself to God, worship him with constant hope and prayer. St. Cyprian shows that some fell away from martyrdom because they had respect to the fierceness of the torments, not to the strength and help of God. That those stand fast and conquer who turn away their minds from torments and fix them upon God and say, I can do all things through him who strengtheneth me. God is greater than the torments. So St. Agnes, fixing all her hopes and love upon Christ, vanquished all the torments of the tyrant. For God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong, and he wills to show to the whole world his strength in our weakness. For God cannot forsake those who hope in him, call upon him, and worship him. Wherefore, St. Cyprian says, Adversity does not withdraw us from the power of faith, but confirms us. Of this St. Anthony had experience, who, on the testimony of St. Athanasius, was wont to say that the best remedy for overcoming all temptations of the devil is spiritual joy and the love of Christ, from one sign of whose cross he flies away vanquished. End of chapter 4, verses 7 through 10.